0: Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Roots, a Jazz Impressions podcast. Uh, my name's Ollie. my name's Dan, and together we run jazzimpressions.co.uk, a music blog designed as a game of musical ping pong, where we explore musical connections one track at a time. Uh, in this podcast, we both pick a track, and we then try and map a path of musical connections between those two tracks via artists, albums, years, or other interesting connections. So um, to start things off today, uh, what track did you pick? I chose Running by The Far Side. A classic. And uh, I've chosen Wooden Ships by Crosby, Stills and Nash. Another classic. Yeah, two very different tracks though. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first this time. I've gone from Wooden Ships through to Running. So first of all, we'll set sail with Wooden Ships, um, which is a fantastic track, probably my favourite uh, from the album Crosby, Stills and Nash. It was their debut studio album um, and it was released in 1969
1: on Atlantic Records. Say, can I have some of your Yes, i seven weeks now, I haven't sick lie. <laughs> Wooden ship. <laughs> Silver on the shoreline,
0: let us be talking about very free and easy. I don't know if you noticed, if you listen to this track on well, a pair of stereo speakers or headphones, you notice that the way the vocals are panned in the track. You have the vocals panned left and right um, for the different vocalists, and when they're having a conversation, there you can hear. Uh, I think it's Crosby and uh, Stills yeah. and they're singing to each other. Um, oh, we have some of my purple berries, you know. And so you're ping-ponging left and right. So it's mm. like having this kind of conversation, which is interesting. Yeah, Like our podcast, if you notice that I'm in one ear. And I'm in the other. There we go. So, uh, yeah, we took that recording technique from Crosby, Stills and Nash. Yeah, this, um, is, and a, this then, is a psychedelic recording. Yeah. I don't know, Do you know the story about the album cover? No. It's Nash, Stills and Crosby. Um, in order from left to right, sitting on a sofa yeah. in front of this kind of ramshackled old wooden house. Um, and they shot this image in West Hollywood. And then they decided afterwards on the name Crosby, Stills and Nash. So they returned a couple of weeks later to retake the image. Um, so it wasn't as confusing in the right order. So they'd have Crosby on the left, Stills and Nash. Yeah. But when they came back, the house had been demolished. <laughs> so they were stuck with that photo. So it's interesting. Although they call Crosby, Stills and Nash on the cover, they don't actually. Yeah. They don't actually have that order. It's like it's like those film
2: posters, like. Yeah. Kate Blanchet's name above John Wayne. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what film that is. Honestly. I don't know if
0: that's a film, but could be. <laughs> should be. I mean, she played Bob Dylan. Anyway, we, we we digress. Yeah. Where where do you go from Kate Blanchett? <laughs> Uh, my next track is a track by David Crosby which is from his debut solo album Um, the track is song with no words and his album was if I could only remember my name it was released in 1971 on Atlantic Records You've Crosby, Stills and Nash on there. You've got Joni Mitchell. You've got members of Santana as well on there. Wow. Um, and Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane and Quicksilver Messenger Service. So it was the Jefferson Airplane uh, guitarist Paul Kantner who actually interestingly co-composed uh, "Wooden Ships," and um, he gave the informal moniker of uh, the Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra uh, to this kind of group of uh, musicians on the album. And interestingly, Jerry Garcia helped arrange and produce the album and you can you can hear that you know really it set the the benchmark for what went on to become known as i suppose acid folk yeah as people call it or psychedelic folk um, and the whole album is excellent um, as it's very short as well mm. i think it's only about 30 30 minutes something like that but it's one of those great albums that just says what it needs to say but every track is good um, and contributes to the whole as well and you come out the other side of it and still can't remember my name <laughs> <laughs> it is a very
2: confusing name i always forget what it's called. If I could only remember my name. Of the album. Yeah. There's a um Mickey Art album called Rolling Thunder. Mm. Uh, where the credits include Bob oh, Weir guitar and vocals, Phil Lesh bass, Jerry Garcia Insect
0: Fear. Insect Fear? <laughs> I think anyone really knows what that means. <laughs> That's bizarre. You can tell they were high when they did that. Yeah. It was like actually I kinda like that with certain albums. is like certain I think the one that comes to mind is Gong, um, the British psychedelic band but anyway the, the liner notes for their um, flying teapot series of records you can tell that when they were written like david adam's high as a kite it was, like tripping because he's having conversations with himself on the liner notes on the back of the album artwork so like and then we went to thing or did we hmm. it's, it's like it's, you can tell someone's like going off on one while they come back around again they're like oh wait i'm writing liner notes but yeah amazing song amazing album if you haven't checked it out definitely uh get on that because it's a it's a great listen from start to finish Which leads me on to my next connection. This time we're gonna veer back into hip hop again. So Song With No Words by David Crosby was sampled by LA producer, DJ Day. Um, He released an album back in 2013 called Land Of A Thousand Chances. And this is the uh, track of the same name. Good track. Great use of the floaty David Crosby vocal. It's awesome how he uses it for the switch up in the middle, like the kind of the bridge part. And It's one very good song off a very good album, a real masterclass in instrumental hip hop production, you know, in the same vein of, you know, DJ Shadow and these kind of things. It, but it's, it made me think of
2: uh, This Time by DJ Shadow. It's,
0: what's interesting about this album is it has a real, um, a real kind of West Coast upbeat, yeah. kind of optimistic feeling to it, whereas Shadow stuff's a lot darker. And has this much more pensive atmosphere. Um, interesting as well. Like DJ Day hasn't actually recorded a huge amount of music, but I saw something the other day. I think he's got a new album on the way this year. I don't know what it's going to be like, but uh, but yeah, if this is anything to go by, he's a talented a talented guy. What's your next track? So next on my route that takes us via, and again, I'm going to keep it LA with this. So the the, the album Land of uh, Land of a Thousand Chances was released on. A small label called Peace Lock 70, which is like a small indie label um, out of L.A. Um, and it was founded by a guy called uh, Fez One, who is one half of the L.A. hip hop outfit, People Under the Stairs, um, um. who you may have heard of. The track that I've chosen is a track called The L.A. Song, um, and it's from um, probably one of their most famous albums, um, if not their most famous album, albums, called OST, released in 2002 on Ohm Records. Yo, a lot of people be stepping towards life. Y'all from San Francisco, right? Nah, oh, G. We show a lot of love for the state of California. From Humboldt to side, you dig?
1: But L.A.'s where it all happens for the dub, and that's one. All you MCs say L.A. when you on stage and when your boots spit, out
0: high verse, you you're going to make it happen, man. Right? Who won tests? We licking off shots in the West. We make believers out the best. Lay the week to rest it's in Southern California. I ain't no place like this At the stuff
2: y'all doing We created the shit So don't be sagging young buck In the presence of this Don't even come from the city And you're running your lip I'm about to make a call It has that music. west coast Driving down a really wide open street The top down feeling
0: Yeah, no, definitely Um I mean, there's that tradition in hip hop Of, you know, repping your city Yeah But it's got that kind of sun-drenched feel to it mm-hmm. You know, when you compare it to like The sounds of Wu-Tang Yeah You know, that could only come out of You know, that can only come out of the East Coast. Um, But they were a great group, very much self-made DIY approach. You know, it was really just the two of them, you know, putting everything together, all the records touring, selling records, releasing them and stuff. Um, And they made a really successful, you know, career of it and had actually a long career doing it. It's a really great tune. And it's interesting the production is reminiscent of DJ Day. You can see the similarity between DJ Day's production and Fez 1, you know, that soulful, break-laden... Absolutely funky sound you know we grew up obviously one of our you know first uh insta hip-hop was through jurassic five yeah and obviously jurassic five it has a similar vibe to me it's that kind of without sounding corny it's got a kind of party vibe to it yeah it feels that kind of like upbeat uplifting it's quite accessible Um, accessible but still musically interesting enough so yeah definitely check that album out if you're into that kind of sound you're a fan of jurassic five people under the stairs so from there it brings me finally to uh the Far Side's Running. The connection being the Far Side were another West Coast hip hop group. They were from Los Angeles and very much as well, you know, you find Running um, was from their second album uh, entitled Lab Cabin in California. So again, it's the LA link. So yeah, it was released in 1995 on Delicious Vinyl and Capitol Records. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Possibly my favourite hip hop track of all time. It's definitely up there. I mean, top five. Yeah. Top sure. top five, like for sure. But I I, I think I can make a strong case if someone put me on the spot and said you've got one track to listen to uh, <laughs> on your desert island. Uh, yeah. That that would be that would be the one I'd choose. I mean, uh, it's just a, it's a masterpiece on all levels. Definitely, mm-hmm. it's got
2: the. Far sized distinctive, playful, sing-songy, very funny delivery. Yeah. And then J D,
0: aka Jay Diller, for those who know. One of the best beats ever produced. I would say so. I would argue so. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite beats of all time, definitely. Um, what he did, you know, with the samples there, he just made such a classic with it. And it, but the beat embodies everything that people like about Dilla. Yeah. You've got his amazing ear for samples. You know, picking the samples and either looping or chopping them in a particular way um, that made them so kind of unique and interesting. The swinging drum programming on it, you know, that, the, the drums, just the swing of them on that track. If you're not nodding your head, you're dead inside. Like, yeah. And the bass lines as well, the infectious yes. bass lines of it as well, that, that kind of, in the kind of classical Dilla way, you have like these these swinging drums and then you'll have this very funky bass line kind of steps in and out of the out of the drums in between just perfectly syncs in the yeah. pocket of the drums. And the idea of using an acoustic guitar like that, but now you're used
2: to it, like I think of Justin Timberlake or something, that kind mm. of slightly Spanish feeling. Yeah. But at the time, like ninety five, people weren't really using acoustic guitars to make
0: beats for rap. That's the thing. I think that's what and again, you know, I mean we're we're not quite of that era in terms of like you know, coming across Dilla, we were coming across Dilla later, um after he had passed, obviously, and learning about the legacy he left behind and what was going on at the time. But what's interesting with Dilla is that, and from what you know, I've read about it, people that were there at the time saying how what he was doing was so different. Like you knew he was on some other level because it sounded so different to what was in the mainstream at yeah. the time. And now, because we hear so, there's so much hip hop and there's so much. Um, just music in general is indebted to Dilla, mm. especially that kind of that sense of swing and timing that he yeah. had, and the way it changed jazz music and changed the way jazz musicians play now. That Dilla swing is just so everywhere, you know, and you hear it even on you hear on pop. You hear everywhere, yeah. you know. So many producers were influenced by him, um, and he changed the the way things sounded. The whole, um, the whole neo soul movement. Yeah, you know, he's indebted upset, to really man. the soul and yeah. you know him and uh, D'Angelo, Agobardou, yeah. Common, Cresslove, all of those guys, you know, they really pioneered that sound and now you see it. Yeah. so many acts now from Hiatus Coyote and yeah. you know, Janelle Monet and all these people, you know. Yeah, it's suddenly it's in the charts and Dylan wasn't necessarily given the credit at the time. The classic example being the, the Janet Jackson uh, joint, uh, Got Till It's Gone. Um, which samples Joni Mitchell, again, an amazing one of Diller's probably most famous productions and stuff. But he was never credited as the producer, but you can hear that it's Diller. Yeah. You know, no doubt about it. Um, and the fact that he then went on to make the JD Revenge mix of the joint, you know. So again, it's just one of those things where he was, I think, unfortunately unsung. His genius was unsung during his um, career. Yeah. And it was only, uh, you know, unfortunately after his diet that people realised quite the special soul that. Um, hip-hop had lost Yeah. Um, and music in general and there was, a, there was a quote I saw in an interview and he was saying, music for me is all about the feeling mm. It's not there's no format to music it's just, I run by feeling Yeah. and so many of Diller's beats they capture a feeling and it's that quality that keeps you just wanting to listen and listen yeah. and listen and that's why on YouTube you've got people looping up his beats for 14 minutes just like making, whatever they're called homework edits or yeah. extended cuts or whatever of just beats and you can listen to those. And generally you'd say, if you listen to most hip hop beats for fourteen minutes, you'd be like, Man, I'm tired of this now. But there's something about Diller's beats on a consistent level where he would just make like these perfect loops. Yeah. Or these perfect nuggets to just listen to, and you can just zone out to them and you're like, This is special, and to be able to do that so consistently it's got injecting like, feeling and yeah, humanity. Humanity into hip making absolutely- machines make yeah, that's human not, music—not easy to do on an NPC. But not plays. the time, especially with the software. You know, yeah. it's crazy. Like people were saying, it's crazy to think what he'd be doing now with modern technology. You know, he was just making—he was making this stuff a bit like you know, like pioneers like Sun Ra, making experimenting with stuff like twenty years before other people. It's yeah. The same thing with Dilla. You know, he was making trap beats back in like you know the late nineties, early noughties, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like I think DJ House Shoes said it. Big proponent of Dilla's music, he said, you know, like you hear a track now. Dilla was doing that twenty years before, and he's doing it better. <laughs> yeah, but then
2: I've heard him. I've heard Dilla called uh, the Mozart of hip hop, which sounds hyperbolic to the extreme. Very much. Yeah. It
0: sounds like clickbait, doesn't it? On yeah. Like some sort of pitchfork. But it's you know. absolutely accurate. It is in terms of what he was doing. It's like, and it's only I think when you've listened to so much of his stuff and you realise how versatile he was as a producer like miles you know every decade he was doing something new he was pushing dilla was the same yeah you know, he went through these eras you know of, of of different sounding beats you know so you know they're not like 90s late 90s dillers going to sound different to the early noughties Diller, and around the time when he made donuts for example um you know in the early 90s before he died in 2006 i think it was we can do um, a whole
2: another podcast about
0: donuts the fact of the matter is one of the greatest if not the greatest to ever do it the only person coming close, I would argue, is Madlib. If you haven't checked out Farside, get on it. Both their albums are great as well, but I would say Lad Cabin California, just because of the Dilla, what Dilla was doing with the production of this album, with tracks like Drop. There's so many good cuts on here. Well, that's where I started on my group. With
2: Run In, which, uh, like we are talking about, Dilla taking this boss and over uh, it's from Sardad Vem Correndo by Stan Getz and Louis Bonfer from the 1963 Verve album Jazz Samba Encore! Exclamation mark. Actually predates The Girl from Ipanema by about a year. Yeah. That was the crossover hit, the one that made Bossa Nova a craze yeah. in North America. But Stan Getz had actually been making Bossa Nova for years before even visiting Brazil,
0: which mm-hmm. is when he started using Brazilian musicians. This is the crazy thing about Dilla, like Dilla sampled all these different types of music, you know, from Turkish psych rock. He sounds like Throbbing Gristle for stuff or whatever, you know, in British industrial music and stuff like that. And also the Brazilian stuff he discovered through records and it was only towards the end of his life that I think they actually flew him out to Brazil around the time they were filming the um, the Brazilian Time um, documentary. But unfortunately he was too ill to really do yeah. anything because it was towards the end of his life when he was struggling with his illness. So it was. Um, what it's it interesting is? that he came across that bit like Stan Getz. He came across Brazilian music and was making it or making inflected stuff before he'd even been to Brazil. Yeah, it's also interesting you mentioned that documentary, Brazilian Time.
2: Uh, there's a bit where they're all talking about where they first heard Brazilian music, and there's a talking head, Will I Am, pops up and says, Running by the far side, was where I first heard Brazilian music, at least in my musical world. Mm.
0: I think that's another thing you've got to credit Diller for. Was- pushing the envelope on what was samplable. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that rubbed off on, that was obviously Madlib as well, but they were really leading the way in terms of expanding the boundaries of what was possible for sampling. You know, even in the 90s, obviously you had the whole Rare Groove thing in the early 90s, you had Tribe sampling jazz records or whatever, but then it was taken a kind of a step further, you know, in the late, the late 90s and the early noughties, you had people like Dilla sampling, you know, very strange, kind of almost like avant-garde records, sound effects records, all sorts of weird stuff. And again, you know, it really kind of opened up. People really said, wait, you can sample anything. Yeah. You know, it's about what you do to the sample. And there's there's good music to be found in all these genres. So I think it opened up a whole world of exploration for not just DJs and diggers, but producers as well. Yeah. And, and similarly with jazz, this
2: is Stan Getz going, we can make jazz from South American music. He said, I think all folk music from all countries matches close together. Mm. But he also yeah. said... If I want to drink, then fuck you, I'll drink. So maybe he's not the best person to ask.
0: As sampled in my beat tape, Tapestry Man, check it out. It's on, uh, I did a shameless bit of self-promotion on our Instagram page. Uh, The link's there to the SoundCloud, at Tapestry Man as well on uh, Instagram. But there is a track on there I made um, called Let's Gets, where I do sample Stan Getz talking about drug use in the 60s and also about drinking problems. It's a great clip. A really good album and I, I could have used it to link here but instead that would be corny though self-promotion too like fun. hey i'm going to use my own shit which is kind it's of just incest at that point it is a bit incestuous instead
2: i've gone for ginza samba by cal jader and stan getz from their 1958 album released on fantasy called cal jader stan gets sextet <laughs> Colourful,
0: vibrant sound. Six people, but playing really fast and in. Such I mean, what a cool lineup! Stan Getz on sax, Cal Jader on vibraphone, Vince Guaraldi yeah. of Peanuts fame. If anyone knows who the famous, who who famous wrote this song, did he? Interesting. Yeah. Eddie Duran on guitar, Scott LaFaro, you will know from playing with Bill Evans most famously on bass, yeah. and Billy Higgins on drums. Yeah, young Higgins and LaFaro. I mean,
2: tragically, there was no old Scott LaFaro because he died three years after this. Mm. Uh, but yeah,
0: they were both twenty two at the time. Crazy. Interestingly as well, Ginza to um, so Ginza's the 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 rich shishi uh, district in uh, in Tokyo. It's the expensive kind of hub now where you get all these kind of like fancy shops and clubs and stuff like that. It Was obviously inspired. Yeah, by... it's got that bustling going at it. It's got that feeling. Has a district. Yeah, exactly. Everyone kind of bustling around. But yeah, really cool track. I like that. Where did you go from there?
2: Next, I've got Little Birdie by Vince Guaraldi. Okay. Uh, released eventually on Vince Groundy and the Lost Cues from the Charlie Brown television specials. Hmm. Uh, because originally it was from a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, the T V special nineteen seventy-three. It wasn't released uh, until Groundy released it on his own label called D and D in two thousand and seven. Dungeons and Dragons. And it might be. It might be a <laughs> might be a fan. <laughs> and it's subsequently been comped on many Peanuts compilations. Right. And it goes into something. Like this. Thank you. Woodstock, the bird from Peanuts who flies upside down, introduced by Charles Schultz in 1966 and then named in 1970 after Woodstock, the music festival, oh. which is a kind of reciprocal nod to the hippie movement, which had embraced Peanuts because of the countercultural outlook yeah. that Charles Schultz was uh, espousing. Yeah. So much so that in 1968, in the election, so many people wrote in Snoopy for president that California had to pass legislation to make it illegal to write in fictional candidates. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Although it didn't stop Donald Trump from being elected. Hey. Thank you. But yeah, <laughs> famously, <laughs> the Vince Garaldi Peanuts music is perfect and beautiful and fits the specials and the characters
0: to perfection. I mean, the Christmas album. Uh, Vince, the Christmas Yeah, the Vince Garaldi trio. Uh, was it Charlie Brown Christmas yeah I mean it's it's a classic record it's incredible it's the best Christmas album ever made yeah definitely without a doubt it's it's perfect it's so kind of stylish as well no sleigh bells it just feels nice you put it on and you just feel like there's just like snow outside you feel like there's a fire a very seasonal record but you can equally play it at any point in the year yeah and it's fun and this one the Thanksgiving one
2: Obviously, a bit later, it's got the 70s feeling. It reminds me of Herbie Hancock's "For Albert Rotunda. In yeah, head.
0: I thought that. It's got that kind of, yeah, roads-driven Rhodes, funk funk side of things. Yeah. But without the uh, the unfortunate Bill Cosby. Cosby connection. From David
2: Crosby to Bill Cosby. Yeah. Which actually takes me to my next selection, which is Wooden Ships, uh, the Jefferson Airplane version from Woodstock. Oh, nice. So this is from their Woodstock experience release. Uh, Came out in RCA, two thousand and
0: nine. Didn't Wooden Ships originally feature on Volunteers as well?
2: Oh yeah, Volunteers came out in November, nineteen sixty nine. So after they debuted it at Woodstock, and I mean Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young also played uh, Wooden Ships at Woodstock the next day. So if you didn't like Wooden Ships, you're in trouble it was everywhere that weekend. And here's the Jefferson Air Paint version.
1: You must
2: that they went on until 6am, Right, which is why Grace friends. opens that set by saying Alright friends, you
1: have seen the heavy groups, now you will see morning maniac music. <laughs> I've read Bjorn McHalkinan's book,
2: it wasn't particularly illuminating on Woodstock because he doesn't remember any of it, Yeah, uh, and he had accidentally invited a woman who wasn't his wife, thinking that his wife wasn't going to come, uh, but then she did come,
0: so he spent most of it sort of hiding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Busted. I remember there's a, there's an interview with Santana talking about Santana turned up at Woodstock and uh, I think it was uh, The Grateful Dead and yeah. he met Jerry Garcia and Jerry Garcia was like, oh, you should take this this acid or whatever. Would you want, want some? And they just got off the plane and they were meant to play, I think in the evening or something. And he was like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, you take it now, you know, it's about eight hours. And, and he said, you know, by the time it kind of came round, taking this acid, and it kicked in about eight hours later or whatever it was, Like the, the height of the trip kicked in yeah. about eight hours later and he said it was just... Uh, they were up on stage, and he said he was just losing his shit. But he said it was just one of those moments where he was just like, if there's a God, please guide my hands. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, when you watch the footage, it seems that you know that was going well. Yeah, I mean, there It's unbelievable. <laughs> their performance is surprisingly <laughs>
2: you know. good compared to a lot of the ways that people played there. Yeah. And Jörn McAlkinen says that previously his best live band had been Cream, they'd ever seen. Right, They'd ever yeah. Santana at Woodstock. Yeah. It was a revelation, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And Grace Slick has a bit more of a elusive memory of the events. I looked out at a mass of half a million children covered in wet mud, some celebrating, some sleeping, some making love with each
0: other, oblivious to the people around them. You can see why Zappa hated hippies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, meanwhile, Zappa's Zappa's coordinating, you know, kind of chamber music with, you know, Mongolian throat singers and, you know, all sorts of stuff and experimenting with electronics. Working 24 hours a day. Working 24 hours a day to create a huge back catalogue of music. Meanwhile, there's all the bloody hippies out there just taking asses and shagging each other. (laughs) But it is an amazing version
2: of Wooden Ships, both the studio version and the Woodstock version, because it's already a brilliant song. But if you have an airplane, just take it to that signature airplane, sonic explosion territory. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason they're called the airplane. There's that sense of flight in all their music. Yeah. You've got yeah. the and searing guitar lines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the vocals aren't as technically adept
0: as Crosby, Stills and Nash. Cause, it's more raw. Yeah. It's, and I mean, I, I think that's why I like, I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not in love necessarily with some of the stuff from the San Francisco scene. But the stuff that I love from the San Francisco scene is that, that psychedelic, Woodstocky kind of sound of Jefferson Airplane that you hear on albums like Crown of Creation. Yeah. And Surrealist Pillow, but Crown of Creation specifically, we talked about you mentioned Triad like an episode or two ago. Mm-hmm. And that track is just, again, pure Woodstock, you know, sort of yeah. like a love triangle. Featuring David Crosby, isn't it? Written by David Crosby originally. It was written, wasn't it? It was on the birds album. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. But well, that's, um, that's interesting
2: because when David Crosby wrote it, presumably it's about a relationship with two women, Great. Grace Slick sings it. And it's like About two men. Yeah. 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 And, and her. The and this is revolutionary at the time. People like Grace Slick and Janice Joplin were the first women rock stars. Yeah. And in such a kind of testosterone
0: environment. Scene, but know. like strong women as well, yeah. who were like a bit kind of like, you know, like Betty Davis. Yeah. R I P as well. She passed away a couple of days ago, I think. Grace Very Slick,
2: um tried to spike the president with LSD, but I don't think she was allowed I'm
0: in. I'm not you? gonna lie, like, if I had the Grateful Dead as friends, I'd be constantly, they're like the kind of friends that you n- always have you on edge, because you don't know what pranks they're gonna pull. Yeah. And I don't know whether I'd like that, like constantly like being like, oh, you get home, and you don't know whether someone's like, hiding in the bush with a load of glue and feathers, or, you know. Yeah, well there's the story
2: <laughs> about when they were doing the Grateful right. Dead movie. For the uh, people who weren't drinking, I think they'd put acid in the ice bucket oh, with yeah. With the, like sodas. So it's like, well, I'm just going to have a soft drink. You put your hand <laughs> in, you
0: suddenly are covered. <laughs> oh my God, it's insane. remember you saying, yeah, like, yeah. in the Grateful Dead house, wasn't it? Ozzy Stanley, who made all the acid for the group, it was literally just dripping down yeah. into the house and they were just constantly tripping through the fumes coming from... Yeah, they you just, just yeah, they just wake up high, basically. Yeah just constantly in a state of delirium. The yeah, they just ate blocks of meat that he was <laughs>
2: keeping keep in the freezer. What? It's so strange. It's completely... It's I mean, crazy. there's a reason this kind of explosion of cultural revolution was short-lived and incredibly influential. You can't overestimate how important it was and Woodstock, just as a cultural moment. Your McAugnan also says there were no real barriers between the artistic events on the stage. And the equally important artistic events created by the audience itself hmm. it was not necessarily the best concert or even festival no but it was like more like such an influential like
0: happening yeah
2: and yeah, the happening. fact that it was even pulled off was quite astounding yeah. they talk about how the stage wasn't even erected when they showed up no wonder everything was like, like fire festival about. like fire festival except there was a festival <laughs> So yeah,
0: that takes me to uh, Wooden Chips by Crosby, Stills and Nash. Oh, there we go. We've arrived. But it's you interesting, know? I thought you were going to go... I thought you were going to... I thought David Crosby's, if I can only remember my name, was going to feature in your route, interestingly. So I'm kind of glad it didn't. I had to get in that Peanuts
2: stuff. Yeah. Once I got the uh, Stan Getz sample, Yeah. I thought I can get to Woodstock Fire and little get a bird.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome.
2: Yeah, I need to check out... That People Under
0: The Stairs album. Yeah, man. People Under The Stairs, uh, DJ Day, Land of uh, Land of a Thousand Chances. Yeah. Great album. And uh, People Under The Stairs, OST. Two really good West Coast hip-hop albums. Well, that brings us uh, to the end of another episode, our fifth episode of Roots, a Jazz Impressions podcast. Um, as always, uh, like and subscribe, follow, all that jazz, um, over on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter for more info and updates. And don't forget
1: It's nineteen ninety-five, and now that I'm older, stress weighs on my shoulders, heavy as boulders. But I told y'all, until the day that I die, I still will be a soldier. That's all I told you that's, that's all I showed her, that's all I told her. of switching any positions with me cause when you in my position it ain't never easy to do any type of maintaining cause all the gaming and training from entertaining is hella straining the brain but i can't keep running i just gotta keep keen and cunning can't keep running away